You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am Hody Johns. I'm Lou. And I'm Sam. And this is Enemy of My Enemy. All the way up to 12 episodes now. Thank you for being part of it and for tuning in. Today, we are going to talk about pronouns and specifically the conversation that was spurred on by Cory Bush's statement. This is, uh, you may know it best as the birthing people statement. Um, and just kind of the how those two have kind of I feel that one is kicked off the other. So the basic overview here. On May 6, 2021, Missouri Representative Cori Bush testified before Congress. Her, her testimony was actually about race relations as far as it pertains to medicine and how black people are occasionally discriminate, discriminated against medically. Um, there are certain parts. If you listen to other parts of the testimony, there were even doctors who would specify, hey, we don't have anything that uh, that really covers, you know, spe- issues that are specific to black persons when they receive pregnancy care. Um, they tend to have h- higher blood pressures, have high hypertension, and we don't have anything that compensates for for that. Um, and so there is indeed some things that they say, hey, we've made all these specifications kind of tailored around medicine to white people and, you know. Black people just all have this problem of hypertension, things like that. And Cori Bush had had a powerful testimony. She talked about how she she said she was a problem. Her doctor ignored her concerns. And this happened with both of her children. Both her children almost died. Um, She closed by saying she would do, quote, the absolute most to protect black mothers, to protect black babies, to protect black birthing people, and to save lives. Since that statement, uh, Republicans obviously immediately took off with what do you mean by birthing persons? Uh, you had everybody from, I mean, all your usual suspects. You know, uh, Ted Cruz had something to say about it. Everybody in the Trump family had a laugh about it. Um, since then, the Congressional Budget, Budget Office has replaced the term mothers with birth, birthing people on their reports. According to Snopes, about three House Democrats have used the term to replace mothers on their statements. But Snopes also says the idea of of Democrats trying to push this further into a full-fledged replacement is false. Some, like Harvard Medicine, have actually gone the opposite direction after this term came to light. They used the term birthing persons. And then after the analysis and the conversation around it said this phrase, incidentally, quote, erases and dehumanizes women, unquote. And uh, they cited those who would adopt and um, people who are infertile. Um, And this debate, of course, reopened the conversation also about having pronouns at all, if we're going to, you know, start replacing words. Uh, If the word mother is going to be replaced by birthing persons, of course, this reignites the whole, I used to be he, he, him, now I'm she, her, you know, is that okay? Um, 
and that's that's kind of where we're at right now. This is a very sensitive and hot topic. I am I would say I've got more conversation out of this. I posted it to say, hey, I'm going to be talking about it in a few days. Let me know. I had people that wanted to talk to me personally that called me on the phone that were like, hey, I really want to make sure we talk about this and this. It's very important to me. And I mean, last week we talked about like hyperinflation and like bankrupting the country. But this one, even more emphasis than that right now, it's just what the public conversation is. Um, Sam, I'm actually going to give you the first swing on this one, buddy. What would you say about birthing persons, pronouns? What are your general thoughts on this? Uh, I, I think a lot of it just comes down to being part of the culture war, um, and people just sort of picking sides and sort of reacting in order to react. And, um, a lot of it just comes I think from just media. I mean, if you're, uh, it, it kind of reminds me of the amen and a woman. Like, why would you ever do that? It, that it, was it hilarious. Just, it was it was pretty funny, but it's like he wasn't that big of an idiot. I don't think that he just he had no idea that it would. That's a weird thing to do. I think he did it on purpose to you know just drum up media attention, and you know people are falling on either sides, and you're just kind of solidifying your base because they're the ones that are going to react the hardest. And it's going to be all over the news, and then they're going to be like thinking about it, and they're they're going to go vote for you. Um, so I think it's a lot of it's just intentional. It's just uh, trying to drum up uh, stuff like that. Uh, the other thing I want to say is like with pronouns, not I mean birthing persons. Obviously, I think it's just a dumb term. Like you you can think of something better than that, but pronouns in general, like the he her, she him, and the these are on all those, I guess. Well, one thing I would say that is like my name or your name, like we get to pick what we're called. So I think there's precedent for that. Like you, you get to decide what you're called and you can even legally change your name if you wanted to. Like, so I think there's, you kind of have, you don't have a right to tell people what to call you, but you do have sort of a cultural obligation to call people what they want to be referred to as. So I think in some ways, like, Preferred pronouns, I think, for the most part, culturally, it it, it does seem um, acceptable to just call people by what they want to be called by. Uh, I will say, like, I understand, like, the rights perspective, though, which is just that it's, like, uh, it's it's plain to, like, victimhood. Like, I, I'm just, I'm such a victim and trying to get, I mean, because the culture war basically is a war over positive rights. People over here want more rights than the people over here because, and the left usually uses sort of that Marxist idea of, well, I'm a victim, therefore I need more positive rights and then that'll even things out and then I won't be such a victim anymore and we'll all be equally happy and carefree. Um, so I think a lot of that's where, where the reactionary reaction comes from the right, where they just kind of see it as like, oh, you're just playing a victim and you're just trying to get more attention. And there, there is something to that. I mean, uh, there's, there's a medical term called Munchausen, I guess. Um, it's like uh, where people pretend to be sick. Well, they don't pretend to be sick. They make themselves intentionally make themselves sick in order to get more attention from like doctors and nurses. And it's, it's such a problem that they actually have to look out for that. So I think there is, uh, to an extent, there is just this idea of victimhood and it's being pushed a lot um to again if you're the if you're the victim and then there's the the aggressor 
then it just kind of goes back to that Marxism where I need more positive rights in order for equality. Um, yeah, I guess I, that should be good for now. Um, all right. Appreciate your thoughts. Uh, Lou, why don't you hit us what you think about all this? So going back to specifically to Cory Bush's statements, and I, I think this is where I get really frustrated with, you know, the rights reaction to the term birthing persons, specifically in regards to her statements. Like 99.999% of every, everything she said had nothing to do with that. So we're pivoting the entire focus of what she was trying to say, which is women of color are like, there's huge disparities in our medical community about how we're, how they're cared for and all of these things. And that like the despair, the disparities in healthcare for black women compared to white women in general is obscene. And there's a big problem there. And, it's frustrating to me that of all of the testimony that she gave, what is it the right is focusing on? The fact that she used the term birthing persons and in no way did she use it in a way to erase or um, replace mothers. In fact, she emphasized mother. I, I wanted, I didn't have the time. I wanted to go back and count the times, the number of times she used the word mother in that statement compared to the one time she said birthing persons. And that seems to be all that anybody on the right heard at all. Because I don't, it's just this knee jerk reaction to want to find something to be mad about. And lately it seems like it's picking on, you know, the chosen identity of people. And when it comes to the term birthing persons, um, as we've talked about, like in legislation, right? Um, we, as libertarians, and most people with any common sense, look at Congress and, um, you know, just our entire system and how legislation is written and how you'll have a 5,000 page bill written and have to be signed or not signed overnight. And Using terms like birthing person, when you're writing a bill regarding, you know, labor and delivery, health care, or anything that has to do with that, using the term birthing persons is a more all-encompassing because you can have trans men who have children. They're not a mother, and that's okay. They're a father figure, a birthing person. So when you're writing a legislation, like a legislative piece, Using a singular term that is all-encompassing, there's nothing wrong with that. That includes mothers, biological women, you know, cis women, uh, trans men, whatever. However you choose to identify, if you are a birthing person, you're a birthing person. That doesn't erase women, mothers, and it also doesn't erase – it doesn't – I think one of the things that people really got up in arms about was um, the fertility things, but if like the issue of fertility, like that it's offensive and dismissive of women with fertility issues when the entire point of her testimony was fertility issues and, you know, preterm health, um, labor, all of those things like that was the entire point nowhere 
in any of the context of anything that she said, was she dismissive of or erasing or replacing anything? Like across the board, anybody who gives birth or wants to give birth or has fertility issues and is trying to conceive there it's one single encompassing term that cuts down on the verbiage we have to put in legislation so if we're going to complain about legislation that's written you know this thick that they have to sign in an hour then don't be mad when they choose to boil down a term and not, you know, because you know how Congress is, that they would, you're going to have 20 pages just explaining who they're talking about. Or we can use a simple term. Like, it's not erasing anything. It's not replacing anything. And I, like, I get doubly mad because I feel like all this rage at, you know, her making this statement just kind of proves the point that there are so many on the right who are erasing or talking over and ignoring the plight of women of color, particularly in this instance in the medical field. Um, let's see. Black women are 25% more likely to have fibroids or three to four times more likely to die in childbirth in America. Like that's unexcusable. The number of black women represented in clinical studies is they're so underrepresented. It's not even funny, like 4% or some ungodly number in studies where they have to consent. Now in studies where they don't have to consent, they're disproportionately like overly represented. Like that's a big problem. So that issue in and of itself is very frustrating to me because the entire point of what she wanted to say is being overshadowed by this bullshit rage. I think um, to pivot more to the point of pronouns, like I, I, I gotta say, I'm very very proud to hear Sam's take on that. Like, we can choose our name. We can choose our pronoun. Like, do you have to call me that? No, I guess you don't. But you're kind of a dick if you don't. Like, <laughs> it's really, it doesn't hurt anybody. Whatever they want to, you know, whatever you want to be called. What? How does that, it doesn't make my car go faster. So whatever. Like, it's not hurting anybody. So... Yeah, I think we should be affirming people of, you know, what they choose to be. You don't have to get it to respect it. True. But but I mean, this is how we get Marxism. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I appreciate those thoughts there. I'm glad actually you both had points. I had a lot to say on this and you both addressed kind of major points that I had. So I appreciate that. So that way I don't have to drone on. I'm sure the audience will love that more as well. Um, I did want to start. I'm going to move this from right to left here because ultimately it's a social issue. And so of course me being the center libertarian, I'm gonna end up more left than right on this particular one. Um, crazy lefties exist. They are real people. And I think the left does themselves a disservice by not dis one, acknowledging their existence and two, dismissing or uh, acknowledging their existence and then distancing themselves 
from these crazy lefties. Um, I actually, while I was researching the subject, because I actually, and, and you both were in the chat, so you're even aware of this. I can't pretend like I knew this happened on May 6th. They brought up the birthing persons like three days ago and we decided to talk about this. And I was like, is this an, is this is an issue? I had to go back and research everything. So I've had to quickly get caught up to speed. And I've been looking at some of like these left-wing posts that are kind of defending the birthing mother's situation. Um, perhaps the most famous one was, uh, I don't know if they pronounce it NARAL or NARAL, but it's, a pro, it's the largest pro-choice uh, organization in America. And they were like, this is about inclusivity. And anybody on there is like, hey, I'm infertile or I had to adopt, like, and I really take issue with this replacing mother. They're like, suck it. You've been, like, all of history has been on your side. Your time is done, you cis loser. Like, I mean, and, and this is not just them, but, like, they're fans. Like, this is, like, what happens when you get, let's not pretend, like, lefties don't have any kind of toxic culture. Like, you come oh, on no. there, you have a counter opinion. And just like want to voice it and just be like, but what about me? And they're like, suck it, you idiot. Like, I don't want to hear from you, you white trash. Like, black people are actually medically superior to white people. And you're just like, oh, geez. Like, I have encountered some real, like, crazy stuff. And like, unfortunately, this is a mainstream. Like, it's social media. All right, I get it. But it's a mainstream thread. Like this is the conversation. This is the one of the more common conversations and experiences that you might have if you're, I'm not even saying a right wing person, but if you just happen to be somebody who's infertile or adopt and you want to be like, hey, I don't really like that idea. This is one of the most common experiences that you will have. Um, I did see like just while I was searching for these things, and this kind of goes into the pronoun stuff too, um, people sewing penises that fit in diapers so that you can give your child a fake penis um so that if they feel like being translator later that the uh that the swing is not it doesn't throw them off because they're used to having a fake penis in their diaper and um that's that's a thing there's YouTube videos, which I think constitutes child abuse. I don't think it's abuse. I understand like calling your child, letting them choose their pronouns, calling them they, whatever it is. But there's times where I think it crosses the line into abusive, like where a little boy wants to play with a car and they like force them to play with a doll equally because they're like, we want you to make this choice later. You can't play with it now. And they're like crying. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like let your it, let your normal kid be normal and let you know and and i'm just saying like if it's if you happen to have a trans baby that's fine like make that change like you know what i mean like let you can still let them decide for themselves without taking away the things that they like at that certain age um that being said, uh, Lou addressed this already. Um, these are, uh, this has no, this isn't really, um, well, Neral, I guess, is kind of mainstream. Most of these are very fringe groups. And the thing is, even with things like Neral, your common person that's not on the internet will see those kind of conversations and be like, that's idiotic. That's really wrong. That's terrible. Um, Birthing persons, it turns out, is kind of offensive to a lot of lefties as well, because it boils down motherhood to just birthing, your birthing machine, you, whatever. And so there's actually kind of an equal amount of uh, left-leaning people that are irritated about this as well. It's not um, two things about linguistic evolution, and Lou, you love linguistic evolution or All linguistics right. in general. Um, something that I got brought up to me by uh, Sarah Brady is she talked, and she's... Uh, 
would probably qualify as a left libertarian. Uh, she was on the wall network for a while. We love her. Hi, Sarah. Um, but she talked about how it needs to be easy to say it needs to be kinetic and it needs to be well thought out when you make yes. changes like this. So yes. when you make a change that isolates people that, that says, yes, it's inclusive. So this new term is more inclusive to trans males who have given birth. It is exclusive now to people who are infertile and people who have adopted and foster parents, right? And so what you've done is you said, we yes, we want to fight over here and we've burned three bridges over here and that's kind of a net negative. And so the pro it's not a well thought out term. Even like people that are like super leftists that are into this, like, oh, I really love progressive language bit. Do not like, do not appear to like the term uh, birthing person. They actually uh, tend to just prefer the gen generic parent which I think is yeah. probably even better than all this. Yeah, and so well, it, it, I'll, I'll agree. It is clunky. Like it's not, we're test driving it, right? Like it's right, clunky. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> we, like, we tried it out. We did the toe. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and you know, unfortunately you don't want to defend your, yourself by saying Ted Cruz likes it. But when you, you know, when you have like a friend and, and we had somebody with the network uh, who had, or with this show who had affected deeply, who has been, had their family attacked because it's like, oh no, you're not, uh, you're not a birthing person. You know, you try to cling on to your mother's day and it affected his family. And it's like, well, that's not cool. Like that's really like, that's messed up that this has been turned into an attack against somebody who is like, we feel that we're parents because we've adopted. Anyway, uh, it's very similar to like GSM has replaced it LGBTQIA+. I mean, frankly, it's just because language is like, hey, we need to make a term that's more inclusive than and less clunky. It's not that LGBTQIA plus is wrong. It's just too long. It's just hard. It's the people aren't going right. to say it if you make it like that. If you say birthing persons and you're kind of like, Mleh. That didn't taste right in my right. mouth. It doesn't it roll doesn't. off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue and you feel gross after you say it. You're not going to say it. And so, like, that's why we have things like G GSM replacing these subjects, gender and sexual minorities replacing the longer things. Uh, that being said, um, moving on to kind of kind of swinging, swinging back to the left here. Yeah, they didn't address Cori Bush's point at all. And, in fact, she specifically... Uh, even in the quote said, protect black mothers, protect black babies, protect black birthing people, save life. She actually is including everybody with her statement. She isn't saying I'm here to protect, protect black birthing per people, period. And that's right. it, you know? So she actually is opening that up. I guess she's specific to black issues, but that's what the hearing was about. So it, right. anyway, like so you're, it, you're saying the media didn't provide context and break it oh down God, for no. us. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Why would they do so, that? So like, here's the thing, like, and, and then just going into general pronouns. It, for me, this comes down to just not being a jerk. Um, there's a lot of individualism that comes with making a change, whether it's choosing your own religion um, and bucking the tradition of your family or choosing your gender and pronouns and bucking the tradition of society or choosing a different job than what the family, you know, what the family was maybe. These are all individualistic things that, Hey, libertarianism is kind of individualistic. So like libertarians should naturally be encouraging people to be like, Hey, if you don't like what somebody else put on you, be yourself. And it's not enough for libertarians to say, we think it's legal for you to be yourself. 
we should encourage you. We should celebrate you being yourself. That's fantastic. Like, you know, and, and, and that, yes, that goes, if you're like just a normal cis dude like me, that's like, yeah, I like being a dude, you know, my, everything on my, all, all my screen names on my video game stuff are like the hoed man. I enjoy being a dude. I celebrate it. I'm happy about it. If somebody wants to join me in dudehood, sweet. You know, if somebody wants to leave dudehood and join womanhood, that's too bad. You're missing out on a lot. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, like that's so cool. Like that we live in a society now where you're no longer like, you better be like this. You better be straight. You better be gay. You better be, you know, this way. Like that we say like, no, you better be yourself. That's the one thing that we want out of you is for you to be yourself. Um, I think Ben Shapiro always makes himself look like such an ass on this. And, And here's specifically it. He's begun to like, get his ass kicked by like YouTubers recently because what'll happen is they he look his mouth. Well, that, I mean, <laughs> that too. Sorry, not a fan. <laughs> no, it's all right. Like he, like the thing is, is he'll see somebody and, and to you or I or any common sense person, this is a woman. Like it just is, it looks it. And he will stop himself like five times during the interview calling, calling her a her. And then be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sir, mister. And you're just like, dude, when you have to correct yourself, like to go back to the bigoted thing that you say, like you've lost the argument. Because the point is, is that it is as much as people don't want to hear it. I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about gender. It is a social construct. It is something that we have social norms around. We have social ideals about. And if somebody fits into more with the ideals that come with being a male or a female, then that's what they should be because ultimately we've crafted a society that talks to people in these terms. And that when they look at you, they address you in these terms. We say sir and madam. We say he and she. Now, unless you're going to try to propose some kind of neutral pronoun, which as we talked about with linguistic evolution, fine, but it has to match actual evolution. And right now we're not really there. And you can- a they is fine. And there's some people like, uh, one of my favorite ones is who left their sandwich here. You're not going to say who left his or her sandwich there, even though that's technically correct. Right. And even, um, I believe even the like AP tests have started like, uh, you know, for schooling is even started to be like, no, they is fine. We're, we're yeah. it used to be, you had to say he, her, they're cool with they now. And I love that because it's something that even kids kind of say, and we've had to correct like, no, no, it's he, her. And then it's like, no, it's, it's there. Like just, it's easier to say it that way. And if you yeah. don't know, it's a, they is a great one. Um, but it is it is a little clunky. And right now we still have many, even outside of the pronouns, Mr., Mrs., Sir, Madam, uh, Lady, Dude. I mean, we just, we just have many of these. And that's about all I had to say. Go ahead, Sam. All right. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about tonight, I forgot to mention this before, since I am supposed to be representing the right a little bit. Okay, here. good. <laughs> I think um, corrupting him. Uh, I mean, I, I'm an individual. I, th- I actually just think for myself, usually. He did say um, preferred pronouns instead of just pronouns. So he is still a little on the right. Yeah, we, anyhow, <laughs> go ahead, Sam. <laughs> right. uh, well, uh, there is also the thing where, um, like, say someone walks up to you, you don't know them, you refer to them as what you find obvious. Yes. In that situation, I don't think it's something that you should always correct i mean for instance my name's samuel people call me sam all the time people call me sam so much that i just tell them call me whatever you want because i really yeah you can call me sam i don't care it's like not the end of the world just call me whatever because i'm not going to inconvenience you to call me 
Samuel unless we're like really good friends or something like that. And even then, half my friends still just call me Sam. It's no big deal. But I mean, so the responsibility, there's there's two sides to the responsibility. On one hand, um, you're responsible as a human being to refer to people in a way that is most respectful to them and that they prefer to be. But there's also, on the other hand, you should be sort of want to be, uh, you shouldn't make other people bend over backwards to acknowledge you in a certain way, I guess, also. Um, the, the other thing is like, if I, if someone's a woman, what does that mean? Does that mean like she is a cook? Is she a dishwasher? I mean, that, that would be sexist, right? So like, if you refer to someone as, um, so like woman does not equal dishwasher, that's sexist. So then when I refer to someone as he, and you know, he, he is wanting to, I don't know how to say this. He wants to be acknowledged as she, because of whatever I'm tripping over my words here, but, but it's like, we're, we're, we're pretending that the word he means something really significant when I don't think it does. Like there's a lot of overlap between he and she and all these different things. And it's just a minor distinction in a lot of ways. I, I would have to disagree when it comes to someone who has gone through the struggle of, you know, finding their identity and, coming out to their family, going through the medical processes and dealing with, you know, a lot of terrible interactions and people being very hurtful and harmful to them. And, you know, whether it's a stranger on the street, your own parents, a doctor, an educator, like people who are trans have so many. So I wouldn't like that distinction is huge for them because it is a it's an achievement it's i have looked fear in the face and i did this and i worked hard because this is who i am and so i think it's kind of it's a disservice and it's erasure to say that it's not a big deal because for these people that go through this it really is it is their life it is everything to them to finally be able to be who they are and i don't think that you know, there have been lots of times like my name's Lauren, but someone will call me Laura and I just, I don't correct them because it's like, ah, I'm not, it's not worth it. But if somebody misgendered me, you know, or called me a completely wrong name, if they called me Sarah or Joe or whatever, like I'd be like, oh no, my name's Lauren or my name's Lou. You know, I go by both. Like it, it, that doesn't have to be confrontational. Like I've, I called somebody the other day, the wrong name. And I was like, your name. Is, and she was like, Oh no, it's this. And I was like, Oh my bad. And like, we moved on and it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't confrontational. It was, Oh, you know, sorry. I didn't mean to mix that up and I got it. Now that's your name. Like I don't, like, it doesn't have to be confrontational and it doesn't have to be a big deal to correct someone. But it, I do believe, especially for people, you know, trans people, it is a big deal to affirm what, you know, how they prefer to be addressed. Um, because that's that's a fight. That's a big fight that they have gone through or are going through. And, and you know, 
to be I, I but, but like, my question would be like why why fight it why do you have to be referred to by this certain thing you said they should just i mean there's the individuality aspect of it where why don't they just be who they are like if i'm a transgender man why don't i just be a transgender man and accept the fact that you know people are gonna you know misgender me or something like that i, I mean it's I'm well, trying to represent the right here. Dude checking you out at, you know, the grocery store and they're, they say, thank you, sir. Or, thank you, ma'am. And they get it wrong. Like, I'm not going to waste my time, whatever. Like, I'm probably never going to see you again. Right. But if it's somebody, well, I, I think that's, that's typically what the, the situations that are the argument. I mean, if you're the, if it's your, like your family member or something like that, I mean, it's typically, I don't, I think, I don't think that's as much of an issue because they know you, they know what you would prefer to be called. I mean, and if you're not, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there I, are certain there. Are I guess certain, there is sort of abusive families that would just just right. call yeah, you dead name you, and it's awful. <laughs> it, it's probably true, right? Right. I mean, and, and the thing is, is both both of these things exist. Sam, I think you bring up a good point, or Samuel, I think you bring up a good point that um, that this is like this is how it's tough argument. There's this cartoon where one person says, I think there should be more genders. Another person says, I think there should be no genders. And then they kiss each other. Right. And, and it's funny. Like, I think it's actually supposed to make fun of them, but I actually didn't know that at the time. And I was like, no, this is cool because like that, those people tend to be on the same side, right? Like you're just like, either it means everything or nothing. And it does make sense that it is kind of, it is kind of hard to quantify because in one sense, I don't really love like, Samuel, you mentioned like a lot of the social norms about being a man or being a, and a woman are kind of forceful and or toxic. Like I, I don't, you know, and you don't want to be held responsible for a lot of those norms or, you know, be like, I'm calling self, myself a man because I like monster tracks or well, something I mean, like that. Like, I think it comes down to just shortcuts where it's like uh, that, that, you know, that's that guy over there. Well, then we automatically put them in sort of this, this box of, well, this is typically what a guy is and, and that's helpful. I mean, you know, then if, you know, if they're this height or I'm just doing physical attributes right now, but I mean, if they're a teacher, then they're probably like this. And all those things are true. I mean, like I do, like I do door-to-door sales, right? And sometimes it's like they fail a credit check and I have to ask myself, it's a soft credit check. So I have to ask myself, do I try to figure out and do another credit check or find out on the back end or all this stuff, or do I not? And I have to just look at them and be like, is it worth my time or not? does this person look like they have good credit or not? So we are, we're constantly make, doing those things and we're constantly, and it's nothing wrong with it. It's an okay thing. So I think, you know, it's okay to have the boxes, but it's also, you got to recognize that the box isn't everything. You can't just, you know, keep them in the box. Like if someone, you know, like, no, oh, this is a dude. He, he probably likes football. Well, no, he doesn't like football. He likes, <laughs> you know, he likes bird watching. Okay. Well, that's okay. My box, he does not have to stay exactly in my box. And as you get to know people, boxes tend to just disappear and you just recognize them for as an individual. Absolutely. Quick question, though. When you look at me, what do you think my credit score is? (laughs) 650. Woo! Close. I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> that was no, way too I, fast I, with that answer. That is a that is a really interesting um, idea, though. I've I worked as in like corporate sales training and mm-hmm. like uh, curriculum development for training and stuff like that. And there really is sort of this 
you have to be able to look at a person or a situation or whatever with very limited information and kind of guess, right? And some people have a knack for it and some people don't. Well, it's, even like know. if you get really good at sales, your pitch, the pitch you give to the person will change every single door for Absolutely. every single person just based on like seconds. You like yeah. you, you see them for a second and you're like, this is the pitch I need to, I need to say. I'm not yep. that good yet, but I mean. It's but. interesting, like the psychology behind sales and how it kind of relates to societal things like assumptions we make about people or groups of people mm -hmm. um, based on their appearance, based on what kind of house they live in or what, where they live in town, you know, all these things, these assumptions that we make about people. Um, it's It's fascinating stuff. But then when you, like you said, when you really get down into it and you get to know people, um, it, those boxes really do disappear. I mean, if any of you guys have ever seen my husband, he's like big, burly, beard, bald, tattooed guy, right? All piercing. He likes so kittens. Scary looking. And he he's like, he doesn't do the sports ball thing. He can't work on cars. Like he doesn't ride a motorcycle. Like he's a big teddy bear. He really, he's a big nerd. He likes Star Wars and you know, like. This has become personal. Right. No, I, I really, you have to like, I think that's a big part of the problem that we see like the societal or culturally we have this war about, you know, what other people are doing with their lives and their pants, <laughs> like maybe get to know each other, like on a personal level and appreciate the individual for the individual. And it doesn't matter. Like, yep. yeah. And I, and that goes kind of what I was leading into is that the, the box isn't that big of a deal. Like the, the first box, if you are, I mean, it's just how I feel, I guess if you're misgendered, it's like, that's one box out of how many, you know, like that's not your complete identity any more than being a woman is identified with being a dishwasher. I mean, it's just, you know, like you They're can't just do house. that. <laughs> one of them birthing receptacles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I think, uh, I don't know. I guess I would take issue with judging people right away. Cause I think that there's a, there's a, there's nuance to it. And I understand like I've been in sales before too. Samuel, what you talk about, I actually did mortgage for like three years with, oh. uh, with a bank. And so I, I did, um, I was not with underwriting, but I understood like what underwriters were looking for and, you know, things they needed to see and, you know, had to work with people who do credit checks and, and, and all that jazz. And a lot of times it's the problem that people would have is they get turned down without people trying. So, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'm going to say, I'm going to tell a story and I'm going to tell it like a white person. So please just forgive me a lot. But th I think there is a difference between like, there's a difference between like, okay, when we say that people want to like dress up nice, there's an idea that, and, and a lot of that in my world used to be like a lot of what white people consider nice, which is like tuxedo, suit and tie, you know, cummerbund, if you're feeling extravagant, you know, uh, top hat if we're getting super fancy uh you know these are very these are very like white tropes a black person who is part of that culture can dress nice and still have baggy pants you look at some of the most wealthy of them that come out of that scenario and you're talking about gucci brands you're talking about flat tip hats you're talking about gold 
actual gold chains. Like it's not that they don't dress up nice. It's that they dress up nice in a way that I don't commonly ref like think of as dressing up nice, you know, like, so when we tell people or when we have these workplace standards that say you have to dress up nice here, a lot of times those standards tend to be very white centric, um, like what I am used to, you know, everybody at, at here wears like a nice suit and tie. And there's a few exceptions like, oh, I guess if you have a really nice, uh, you know, burka, I'll let you wear that or yarmulke or what, I'll let you wear that or, you know, and it, it's like, okay, you're making like some like religious exceptions, but it's kind of like that doesn't look nice. Whereas I think that we as a society, at least my hope is that we evolve to a point where everybody dresses what's nice for them. And we all kind of develop an eye of what that means. Um, and, and now to bring this back to like the, the box subject, I just think for me, there is, I, I get very uncomfortable with it. Cause like we, we have, somebody comes into a restaurant and says, you know, and, and my servers make a judgment call based on a lot of times their age, their race, and their gender. <laughs> Who's paying? Is the guy paying? Awesome. Is the girl paying? Oh, that sucks. Oh, is the guy Asian? I'm going to get a big tip. Is the guy Mexican? I'm going to get a bad tip. Is that, you know, you just, you know, is it a teenager? I'm going to get a bad tip. Is it a 40 year old? I'm going to get a great tip. And then 80 bad tip again. Like they just have these like views, right? Like there's these, there's these ideas, these preconceived notions. And the problem is, is, you know, and, and Sam, and I, I don't think you meant it necessarily this way, but when somebody says there's no issue with kind of starting with that box, the problem is, is my servers would treat them if they're in a bad box, like they're going to tip in the bad box. Yeah. And then what happens is it becomes a never ending cycle and you develop a parasitic relationship with that type of customer. You know, out in Colorado, we had people, we had a church that would get out and we all knew what they looked like and they were all, people hated them. So we gave them bad service. So, I mean, they tip bad. So we gave them bad service. So they tip bad. So they got bad service cycle on and on and on. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And eventually it was be like, listen, you need to control what you control, give them great service, hope for better tips. Then it's yes. Then it's on them to change their culture and tip better. And you hope that they will, but you know, like we only can control what we control. Unfortunately, we kind of, we kind of, if we assume that somebody needs to be in a certain box, we kind of destine ourselves for them to be treated a certain way that, and it's a cycle that won't break for them until they at the very least have like the maximum amount of assistance from us. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, uh, people in a lot of ways act the way, I mean, that's sales too. People act the way you treat them. Like if yeah. you're, if you're smiling and chipper and happy and passionate about what you're selling, yeah, they might be a little more too. So I, it, there's definitely that aspect to it. Um, yeah, as far as, but I mean, even like if they walk into your restaurant, you assume they want to sit down and eat. Like you have to make that assumption. Like I, I you could even make that a, like a box, right? I mean, all, all I'm true. saying is, all I'm saying is like there's to 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 say that well, you can't assume anything. It's like well. Right. Good luck breathing and living and, you know, like, right. <laughs> so it just kind of comes down to, you know, if does, does your gender define you? And I don't think it should. That's, that's kind of the long and short of what, what I was trying to say, I guess. Why then do you think Samuel people get so passionate about misgendering people? I see a lot of like intentionally it's doing Marxism. it. Like I see a lot of it's cultural Marxism or it's denial of genetics or, you know, what do you think? I mean, let's be honest here. This is 
we have this a lot more than we should in the libertarian movement. I mean, let's let's just call it what it is. Yeah, you know. So wh why do you think people are so passionate about misgendering? It, it's linguistic battles. I mean, the how. I mean, like uh, politics is downstream from culture. Culture is downstream from media. So it's like once the media starts talking in a certain way, you know that's the direction everything's going to go. And if you're a right winger and you're listening to them talk about, uh, well, this is the new gender and blah blah blah, and it's just like, oh, we're losing the culture war. So I I think that's just where it comes down to. It's just silly authoritarian. There's just the government has too much authority. And they're wielding it too much. And so people are just playing tug of war over these stupid things because they have to win the, the they have to win the linguistic battle in order to win over politics. Yeah, like I I I think you're right in that sense. Um, you know, and coming from you know a having a background in journalism and literature and stuff before I really dove into linguistics. And we, we've kind of touched on this before. Like I was like, but they is a plural word. Like that's weird. And it wasn't like, I didn't have a problem with it. It was just uncomfortable. And like, it didn't roll off the tongue. Right. Because I was so like drilled into my head that they is a plural word or, you know, whatever, you know, certain words mean and, you know, how they evolved. Like it took, me time but you know so i do think that that is you're right like how it's sort of a domino effect and as the media sort of pivots in in how it talks about th certain things like there's going to be the the pushback and then there's going to be the people who are right on board and that's just that's just is what it is and it always has been um and i kind of i also wanted to talk about or touch back on you know how we look at people and we have assumptions right implicit bias like is it it's a thing like it is human nature to assume, to stereotype, to have some sort of implicit bias. That's it doesn't have to be like a bad thing. Like you have it. You're never going to erase it. That's human nature. But if you can, if you're aware of it and you can address it, you can ask the questions, find the answers and, you know, as much as you assume something about a person, you should always kind of counter-assume that you could very well be very wrong. Like, <laughs> and that's okay. Like, it happens. Nobody's, I don't think anybody on the left expects that, you know, white people are just going to wake up one day and be like, we're not racist anymore. Like, they, they, Everybody has like implicit bias is something that is ingrained in our systems and our infrastructure and our institutions and, and our culture. All us on the left are trying to say is, you know, just, just be aware that you have implicit biases and that, and on a subconscious, unconscious level, like everybody does. And just acknowledging that we do and when somebody points out a bias instead of a knee-jerk reaction go okay so the bias that i have or the the assumption that i made or the stereotype that i put on someone you know am i harming is it harmful am i wrong like how you know look you can look at the situation and look at yourself and kind of say okay i made an assumption and I think maybe this is an experience in my life that led me to have this kind of 
idea about a person or a group of people and say, okay, well, maybe that's not right. So I should talk to somebody, become friends with somebody, get to, you know, get out of my own comfort zone and learn. Like, it's okay to be like, yeah, I, I have biases. I absolutely, everybody does. And, you know, you can't, oh, I'm not a racist. Well, no, but you, you may not be an overt racist, but I bet money every single one of us has some implicit bias on some level that we just can't, like, it's ingrained in us. And no, it's not okay to, like, hang on to that. It's okay to say I naturally have this in me and that's, like, a, it's not a good thing, but at least I'm addressing it. And I can look inward and say, okay, how can I do better? Like, how can I look at a, a person or a situation, a group of people, and when I think one thing, stop myself and go, you don't know that. You don't know if that's the case just because they're dressed this way or live on this side of town or whatever. Like, you don't know. If you don't have an implicit bias, you are just intellectually an idiot. And I'm not saying that it's like you're in denial. Like you would actually be an idiot. Like if you don't have a bias and the reason being is, and I talked about this on the show before is the, is intelligence is how quickly your brain picks up on a pattern. So if two black people stiff you, your brain, the quicker your brain jumps to all black people tit bad, the smarter you are. That's a very smart person determination to make because you said, I'm taking a few facts and I'm lining them up with what makes the most sense. Now, recognizing that and then saying, okay, maybe my perspective is limited to only these two instances that happened. And right. maybe even if it is something, I mean, let's face it, that's a joke that they make on mainstream TV shows that black people don't tip very well. This isn't like only my community or something like that. And there are people who are exceptions, but we have these, we have knowledge that this community is not tipping as much as another community right now. Okay. Do you want it to change? Then you have to act on that change. Two of my favorite books are The Bluest Eye and Raisin in the Sun. And these aren't books that pretend like the black community is doing well. Like that after, I mean, big surprise, after getting ripped away from your home country and taken away from all your traditions and forced to work for free and dehumanized and forced to use different bathrooms and dr different drinking fountains and not allowed to vote and discriminated against from owning land. Yeah, big surprise. Your community isn't going to be the healthiest in the world. That's And so then putting all the onus on them and saying that, you know, these books are written and saying like, we want to change, but I just, we need people to treat us differently. We need people to treat us better, you know, like, and, and I know that this has kind of become about race, but to bring it back to pronouns, this is the exact same thing. I am used to calling people who look like this, he, him, I, or I'm used to calling this individual in my life, he, him, and now it's a, she, her. Now this person is she, her. Okay. I could go with what my implicit bias is. Through no fault of my own, of course. It's not going to be instantaneous. I've called this person he, him for 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it may be, you know? And now, different name, it's she, her. Of course, any intellectual person, any person with a brain cell in their head that is used to compartmentalizing information is going to struggle with this change. And so you're going to say like, okay, I have to intentionally, I have to make this intentional. I have to say, you know what? I know it's there. And the only way to defeat it is to treat them 
is to be aware of it myself and say, okay, I know what my brain is naturally telling me to do. I know I what I would say if I let my brain do that and I'm going to behave differently. And I think it, it does require some intention. Let's not be, I, I think it's daft to pretend like it's easy to make the change after one time oh, right. after one correction like oh okay oh you know uh, um, especially if it's someone you knew prior to transition right 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 or you're just used to addressing all people that look a certain way as he him and all people that look a certain way as she her that's something that you literally i mean you've seen millions of people in your life so when somebody is the outlier your brain is going to be like i don't care for that information Right. We talk about confirmation bias. It's like this person doesn't right. confirm the millions of statistical points of data that I have. This person doesn't fit. So I'm going to do one of two things. I'm going to either recognize that and change, which requires work because I have to fit this one piece of information in with all these millions of synapses in my brain that are containing information otherwise. Or I'm going to cut them out of my life and deny them their humanity. And like it's it's just it, I understand why people do it. It's not just like hate, but they can't, they can't find a way to overcome this part of their brain, you know, no. and, and it's easier. It's natural, but human nature isn't always great. <laughs> right. Human yeah. nature at, in some cases was cannibalism. Like, so right. yeah. we, you know, we, we grow up, you know, we get past these things, but like you were saying, it is like, even my daughter who, I mean, she's now, she's going into fourth grade. But in kindergarten, so not all that long ago for her, I, I remember seeing worksheets and it was like a boy and a girl. And it was very stereotypical drawings. And I understand like they're trying to simplify it for kids that age to some extent. But it was very, you know, binary, him, her, very distinct two things. And like, I don't know how much it five, six years old, she really picked up on. But like, I tried to explain to her, I was like, sometimes people can be born one thing and then decide and feel like and inside just know that there's something else. And like, she's looking at me like, oh, <laughs> you know. But now that she's older, like I have several trans friends that are around quite often and like it doesn't, it's totally normal for like, it doesn't phase her. And I've worked really, really, really hard to like overcome like that implicit bias in her and be like, it's, this is, this is normal. Anybody can be whatever they want to be. It's okay. Like, and I'm fighting that from the public school system, which I thought was really weird. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, so it is a, it is something that, is drilled into our heads like these binary ideas or implicit bias that we have from a very young age. And I think part of it is, you know, oversimplification of things. Part of it is just denial of things. I mean, there's a lot that plays into it. I did want to, before we moved on from this subject, we didn't address it. And so I do want it to be addressed. How much do you think thought policing is happening here? Do you think there's an attempt at, what do you think? Is there anything piggybacking on the pronoun discussion or the birthing person discussion that you think could be used in a, like a harmful way? Is, is there some type of, I guess, policing going on that's saying like, you're not allowed to think of somebody that way anymore, either with legal or with social consequences. 
Question um, for both of you, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I was looking at um, very recently a there was a teacher who had been I don't know if he was put on an administrative leave or, or what the situation was, but then he was reinstated, and it basically came down to he was refusing to refer to a student, I believe it was, by their preferred pronouns. And, you know, I I kind of glanced over it, and I don't know all the details, so I may have this wrong. Um, but it kind of sounded like when he was reinstated, it wasn't a, you're right, I'm sorry, and I should have been more considerate of this student it was yeah i won and i'm gonna call him what i want you know uh, i know like, the details of the story you're talking about the guy is like my god commands that i yeah like gender people this way he's a he's a he's one of those guys that makes christians look bad as a, yeah. as a fellow christian i'm just like oh gosh yes thank you <laughs> I was like, mm, no. that's like <laughs> the amount of hate and just from people like that and it's you know, it's it's not hard to just shut your freaking mouth, man. <laughs> or just like uh, it, it's not that's not the time and place to make that fight. He's a public school teacher. I think the funny right. thing is is it that whole court case. And Samuel, I'm going to get back to you on the original subject because this is a bit of a side diversion. But the reason he won is because it was determined that because it's a public school. The public can't discriminate against freedom of speech, but private schools can. So he's allowed to be bigoted in a public school, but would not be uh, or would not be permitted to in a private school that determined that they didn't want those things. So but it's isn't uh, that hostile towards the student? It is common sense says otherwise, but it's his freedom of speech, and because it's a public school. Now I imagine this will be overturned, but it is apparent as of right now he has to acknowledge the public schools have to acknowledge all freedom of speech, including hateful and bigoted speech towards other students. I know. And, and that's a ruling. It's a, that's a crazy subject. I I'm glad you brought that up, Lou, because I saw that exact story. It's. I hope those students march through those halls and yell every nasty, <laughs> like word. Oh God. I just hope they go to a different classroom. So mad. Like I don't really want kids to do that, obviously. Like, yeah. but Sorry, Samuel, I, you know what? I, I guess it's you a, the last words on this subject here. I, I mean, uh, I guess it's an impossible situation because you're having kids forced into an institution yes. and then you're having a teacher who can't get fired. So, I mean, there's there's really no... <laughs> there, I mean, like, if, if you're going to a Baptist school and they won't refer to you by your preferred gender, like, okay, well, that's... You went to a Baptist school. <laughs> like, I mean, what do you... Um, right. So, I mean, in that case, you know, I would say, yeah, that guy has every right to call you whatever he wants it's it's according to his religion like i mean what i would not expect someone to violate their religion to call me what i prefer them to call me like that wouldn't make sense so on, on that hand but on the other hand like if you're in a public school it, there's just no there's you're forced to be there like i, I don't know what else to say like <laughs> That dude sucks. That's all there's. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that whole thing. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, like even at a private school, like you should be able to call people whatever you want. Uh, and I think uh, <laughs> you were mentioning before, like, what do you, what do you think is coming down the, the pipeline with stuff like this? And I, yeah. I think it, I mean, we already have, I was looking into being a real estate agent a while back and I was like reading and like, you cannot have a picture on your wall of just white people. Like if you have a picture on your wall, just write people that's discrimination. You have to have some black people in there. If you show people 
an area where you think they would probably want to move and it happens to be like where minorities are and you're showing a minority that's called leading and that's also like illegal and so i mean there's all sorts of ridiculous laws that can come out of this stuff so um real estate especially uh that's one of those yeah I, i i i know i said i'd give you the last word but just to confirm yeah, we had to have the same approval rating among every demographic of group. Like when I was uh, when I was doing loans, and so that meant like I had to approve. If we approved fifty percent of white people, I had to approve fifty percent of black people, fifty percent of you know Hispanics, fifty percent of you know just every category. Back had to approve two thousand eight, wasn't it? You know, and I will grant you this was. Uh, I'm trying to remember. This is old. I mean, I, I did this uh, like right out of out of high school, and so I was a teller at a bank, and I ended up moving up to this. And so I'm probably looking at about 2008, actually ish, because I graduated in 2003. I probably would have been become a banker at about 2008, 2009, 2010, somewhere around that is when I would have got my mortgage license. But yeah, it's. Um, yeah, all bad. Anyhow, everybody, thank you for tuning uh, into the first half. We're going to conclude with the next half. Our, uh, and we're going to give you a piece of our mind. So hang tight real quick and we'll be right back. And welcome back, everybody. Appreciate you hanging through the break there. Um, I'm going to lead with a piece of my mind, as always, because I think that my piece of my mind is always so fascinating. My own mind is just the best. Um <laughs> I wanted to talk, you know, I, I'll, I'll admit, I'm not going to talk about politics very much on this one. Um, I guess it could be tangentially related, but I just really wanted to talk about the subject because I just find it so fascinating. Um, I I am in, everybody's part of different communities, right? We got the Liberty community, which almost all of us are part of like, you know, everybody here is part of the Liberty community. Uh, we have people that are part of a book club or you're part of Boy Scouts or you're part of, you know, moms dads i mean especially i guess this does connect a little bit with the front part of our uh, conversation there um but i am part of a community of smokers but not the smokers like the don't don't tell my mormon bishop on me not the smokers where like i puff up but like the smokers where we smoke meat um and i love that community um it is just if something goes wrong you've got 10 people that are like, oh man, try this out. It's very, it's also positive and encouraging. And it's just, it's really cool to, uh, to just be part of like a barbecue community that is just really non-toxic. And that if there is somebody that like starts acting up, everybody's like, no, ban this guy. Like we don't need, we don't need negativity just because you messed up your brisket, please. Like get, get out of here. You know, like we don't, we don't need any of that. And, um, I'm just, I, I, I love that I am part of this community. I'm fascinated that it's impossible to duplicate like with politics. There's just no, it just seems like there's no way to get that toxicity out because there's, it's a big community. Like when you're part of like people who barbecue or on forums of people who barbecue, <laughs> that's a lot of people. Like, it's not like I've taken this small, like, oh, there's three of us and it's a non-toxic group. Well, that's, that's easy to do, right? Like us three having this conversation. I have, you know, enemy of my enemy hosts and there's, you know, 12 of us or something. And yes, none of us are toxic because I chose people that are toxic. It's that easy, right? Like, you know, we pick them out and we decide who we get along with and that's what we disagree and have these discussions and it's fantastic. Um, I was just wondering, like, 
and I guess to pose it to you, I'm not sure how much else I had to say, but are there any other groups that you're part of that like you're so glad you're part of that are non-toxic? What are your favorite parts of being in that group? Like, because for me, like just being able to build with them, it lets me be very vulnerable with them. Like I can show them like, here's how I screwed up. I've had a, I'm going to, here, I'll go real vulnerable right now. I haven't had a Dickens of a time getting my turkey to turn out right. And I can do like my brisket and pork is, are great, but for whatever reason, the outside, the inside's juicy. It's not that I dry it out. It's the outside just, it's so bitter. And I'm trying to figure out how to figure that out. And when I say that, as opposed to people being like, oh, because you're a, you're a dumbass or because like, you know, you don't grill as well as I do, you rookie idiot. You know, I went in and be like, hey, I just started smoking meat you know, a year and a half ago. So I'm, I'm new. I'm just now learning stuff. I'm, I'm branching out to Turkey. And they're like, man, that's so awesome. Glad to have you here. I'm so stoked for that. And it's just so refreshing. I guess the only point I had with this is I think we should be more like that to people in the Liberty community, but I did want to turn it over to you guys and see if there's any like non-toxic groups that you were part of as well. It's kind of like gym culture. I mean, if you have some overweight person show up at the gym, like they might be self-conscious and all of that, but literally everyone else in the gym is like, yeah, like you're working out, like you're changing your life. That's really awesome. So I, I think it's the same probably with uh, grilling people uh, or smoking. Is, is it smoking or grilling? I was had to leave. We can it. say barbecue. Barbecuing. All right. Yeah. And sure. I, I also <laughs> want to point out that I, 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 I walked to my friend's house because we were just having getting together to smoke some cigars and drink a little bit, and he was shove wheeling his smoker out to the curb to just get rid of it. I was like. I'll take that. So I just wheeled it to my house. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. So then Did it I work. Like, yeah, it works. I mean, it's like a, it's not like an electric one with like the wood pellets or anything like that, but I use a normal one too. No, that's awesome. Nice. Yeah. So then I, yeah, I, I did some ribs and then I didn't know what I was doing. So I like Googled like when are ribs smoked ribs done. And they're like, when it's like not pink anymore. So I was like trying not to get pink and everyone was telling me like, no, it's going to be pink. I'm like, kind of thought it looked done like but anyway <laughs> that's, that's my thought so it was a little burnt on the outside and it, but it was still super juicy so well, I the guess. burnt ends are the best <laughs> <laughs> my first several racks of ribs uh, same thing samuel burned them on the outside i feel huh. you and then mm-hmm. yeah it took took me a long time but uh I, i've got ribs now ribs pulled pork and kind of brisket are in my wheelhouse it's the other ones i'm trying Ooh, to we'll have to talk later Yes. I was going to yes. say, like, oh, pull up, like, we could have, like, a whole episode. The rest of this conversation is now. <laughs> right? I don't know what was on a piece of your mind this week, guys. But I don't know. It... We might, we're going to fight over, like, which barbecue is better. Like, is it Carolina barbecue, <laughs> Memphis, Texas? Like, I so get into that. <laughs> and My... this is where the barbecuing community turns toxic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that's a good point, right? Um... <laughs> Yeah, my other friend got rid of his uh like a uh, propane grill, and so I just took that too, and it was a pretty nice one. And like You're it doesn't for summer. I don't. Well, I use it all the time because it's like you just you just it doesn't taste as good as nearly as good as charcoal. Like it just kind of almost tastes like they cooked it on the oven. But you literally, it's just throw meat on there, on turn the it on. Oven. Like oh my gosh, it's so easy. Anyway, enough about yeah. what do you got, Lou? <laughs> Lou, non toxic groups. <laughs> Oh, um, no, I've found that, you know, I, I'm part of a bunch of different communities, like, you know, politically and 
things like that. But I have found that um, like the tattoo community is really super cool. I mean, you're always going to have somebody, right? Eh, not my kind of person, whatever. But like as, as a community in general, because we're all kind of so used to being, you know, the outcasts, right? Because we're all covered in tattoos and piercings and have funny colored hair and, you know, wear funny clothes, with, you know, dress like it's Halloween in July. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's we all sort of share this like, hey, like people judge you when you walk down the street too, huh? What's up? I know, <laughs> you know, and we do, we, but we're also artists. So we're very um, in touch with our feelings. You know, we're very emotional people. We're very spiritual people. Very, you know, and we get very um, vulnerable with each other. Like you were saying, like, and, and part of it too, as like from an artist's perspective, which I find really interesting because like art is in my blood. Like I, it's kind of my identity. <laughs> like I grew up to it like as a musician, you know, and now this like art is just kind of what I do. And everybody's very, you, you hear all the time about how artists are very like sensitive about their art. Right. And but there's something slightly different in the tattoo community where I can go to another artist and be like, hey, like, how did you do that? Like, teach me this. Or, hey, I found this really cool trick and I can do this. Like, and sharing things that we're learning from each other. And like every single day at work, there's four artists, you know, at our shop. Every day at work, we're all like, looking at what each other's doing. And, um, my work wife, Mandy, she's fantastic. <laughs> she did a piece today and it's, she, it's not finished. I mean, the guy's going to have to come for like probably three or four sittings for several hours. It's this very realistic, the, um, the soldier's cross, the boots, the rifle and the helmet. And it's going to have these really beautiful wings, kind of tattered wings and a flag behind it. And, um, you know, and he, of course, was telling his story about being over there and getting hit with an IED and he lost people. Like, that's another thing. We meet some of the coolest people in our industry. So not just inside the industry, but the people who come to us to get tattoos. Like, um, we just meet some of the coolest people and everybody's very open. You know, what is it? Bartenders, barbers and tattoo artists. Like, we are basically therapists. <laughs> but you know the on on the artist side we're all very open and helpful um with each other and then on the like even if you're just a consumer a collector of tattoos like we're all very open with each other and very super supportive everybody's got a story to tell and like people leave and i know their whole life story you know and it's cool I, that's such a cool community like i love it one of the 
quickest ways to get like dismissed from the culinary community is to have like a secret ingredient. And I didn't understand why, like there was such a, like what I thought that was like real good chefs have discovered like a secret ingredient that they don't share with anybody else. And that's what keep, makes them them. But really the reason it's a culinary art isn't it. It's like, it's like being an artist and saying, Oh, I don't want to tell people that the, I did these with the pencil. Like, or that I did these sketches with a pen, like, oh no, like that, no, what makes it art is the way you do it. Like it's, yeah. and so it's not like, and so like these groups I think are kind of, and it sounds like the tattoo artist industry is aware as well, but it's not like holding, it's not like withholding this information makes them a better artist by comparison. People like I, nobody does it a certain way. Like I just, the way I do shading is a certain way. Or, you know, when, when you do barbecue, like the way my, the way I have my grill work, the way I have my temperatures, the way the places I stack my meat, the way I choose to do things is still all my very own. I make my own barbecue sauce, which I guarantee every barbecue sauce you try is going to be a little bit different from everybody else's. And it's not that it's a secret ingredient. It's the way you put them together. You know, you'll notice. Um, the secret uh, ingredient is love. Secret ingredient is love. Uh, Gordon Ramsay's restaurants, like never once. I mean, they list the ingredients on the menu. They're so unafraid of, I mean, you see how it's done. His, it's done on TV every single day. He's not afraid that you're going to put him out of business because nobody does it like him. Like, it's just, you know, people do it a certain way. And I mean, people have mixed feelings. I, I don't really care for Gordon Ramsay's anger, hissy fits, but, uh, but his you know, like. are amazing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> It, his, it's his he, he, he gets to be a little therapeutic when you know it's like when you see some someone just doing everything wrong and haphazardly and you you see him come in and just lay it out it's like yeah i wish i could do that in my gym you know right like i've, I've had <laughs> that, jobs. that's what i think that is but anyway, right? i've had jobs like that where like i'll see i'll be like i could really go on a gordon ramsay right now like <laughs> 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 listen here you pasty faced whatever like you just go crazy yeah I, sandwich <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm an idiot sandwich that's right I, I i don't know i just think that it's something to strive for and to think about how inclusive these communities are and we can't kick all the toxic people out but we can encourage non-toxicity and you can be that non-toxic place like when somebody does ask a rookie question or say something in a certain way that you just tell like, okay, you're new. Like not everybody knows taxation is theft until you're a libertarian. You've heard it a lot. For a lot of people, it's not even the reason they joined to begin with. Yeah. And so like the first time somebody might just be like, well, you know, I mean, I want the roads to be maintained and you can feel the tidal wave in the back. You're like, this person is going to get buried. Like this is their last day of being a libertarian. I already know. Cause they just talked about the roads. Like it's over for them, but you can be that person who's like, okay, hang on. Let me be my bulwark real quick. I get where you're coming from. I'm glad that you're talking about this. Cause it's not something that we want to ignore. Like it's something that we want to address. And so I just think like when you see somebody making that move, just remember what it's like to be a rookie yourself. Almost none of us were born libertarians i mean it's just it's just the way it is almost all of us came from some place and even those who like might have had two libertarian parents a lot of times find themselves becoming more libertarians or changing from right to left to center or libertarian it just you know develop different ways of seeing things you know for some people taxation it's less about the theft and more about the immorality or more you know whatever it may be like we just change perspectives a little bit and i just think it's good to um be that non-toxic person um 
it takes a lot of effort, but I think it's worth it. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of it kind of just depends. Like, I, I think we've talked about this before. Like if you're a lead, like the leader is kind of the one who sets the tone. And sometimes you just kind of have to s- step up and set the tone. Like, I mean, I think in one of our Facebook group chats, uh, people were arguing back and forth about the police or something like that. And then, you know, one of our guys just chipped in and said, you know what, let's just talk about taxes. And I was like, you know, I just joked with him. I was like, what, you believe in taxes now? And he's like, yeah, of course, for the roads. And you're like, we just took it in. <laughs> we just took it in the, a positive direction because it was just like going nowhere. And I think you can just like if even libertarians, can, you can just build your own community. Like it's, it's not about getting rid of people. I mean, sometimes that that's inevitable. But a lot of times it's just you got to just set the tone. Good call. Um, Lou, what are, what's a, give us a piece of your mind today. Um, I, I'm i going to go a little bit insider baseball. Um, actually, a lot of it insider baseball. But I, you know, honestly, I hadn't picked a topic until just now. I was sitting here the whole time going, oh, um, crap, this segment. <laughs> <laughs> but um, on, on kind of on this same topic, right, of the infighting and the that sort of stuff. Can we talk about New Hampshire? <laughs> Go for it. This like, is fun. Oh my God. New Hampshire is oh. a state in the Northeast. Um. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to try and keep this in broader terms. Um, the idea that a state affiliate can boot a member in such a fashion after how many times have we exposed like, Hey, this person has been arrested for child porn or molesting children. Um, we need to, you know, return his donations, get him off the rolls. Like we don't like, and it was always some bureaucrat like, well, I don't know who has the authority to blah, blah, blah. Two people get in a fight and all of a sudden the EC like just boom, you can't play with us anymore. I'm baffled. And but I don't know. I'm baffled by this whole thing. And this like one of those things where I have. I have not, nor will I ever leave the uh, Liberty community, but the party is sort of where I've, I've, you know, the political arm of the Liberty movement is broken. I, I think it's totally fair to say it's not for me to like, there's some people who can make it work. Lou, you and me, We've been on the same campaign together before. Yeah, it's fun. We believe in the candidates. We love spreading the message. But there comes a time where you just kind of say, like, I'm better at the culture stuff. Like, I I am so much better at making libertarians in my community than I am on a campaign trail. Some people are just better on social media than they are in a campaign. For those who are great at campaigns, I mean, Spike Cohen, Hearts, baby, like, good for what you do. It's just. I suck. I suck at it. And I think it's fair to just be like, I suck. And that's not for me. Um, As far as specifically the situation in New Hampshire, I think I've got almost everybody involved blocked on both sides. So I have no problem like mentioning names here, but the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire has uh, 
has a very controversial person for their social media. And so naturally they, um, <laughs> we can talk about the difference between saying, oh, at least they're talking about the subject versus at least they're talking about the subject, but they hate me now <laughs> because of the way that I talked yeah. about the subject. Right. Um, and, you, and there's you, a, sorry, go ahead. Sam. <laughs> you, you should, you should tell a story like what it is we're talking about. I mean, I right. kind of know what we're talking about, but like, just like from start to finish, what, what is it for the, for the listeners? Sure. So, um, and, and this is, uh, now I've had a lot of these people blocked before this whole thing went down. So, uh, Samuel, you can even, and, and Lou, you can add details as this goes. From what I understand, uh, Jackie Perry is what I would call a reprehensible human being within the libertarian movement. And she is very good at, she's a known liar. She may, she, thrives on anger, hate, just the most vile comments you can think of. And she is kind of on the left side. On the right side, you have, what's his name? Jeremy Kaufman. Kaufman. Kaufman, oh, like running the Libertarian New Hampshire. And he is about the same as far as being vile, saying absolutely despicable things, making trade-offs, being like, hey, we'd be in a freer world if we could kill a thousand trans people a year, but have no taxes like just even if it's true like just one of the most vile things that you could say which by the way not true murder always bad taking money less bad but both both awful let's as soon as you get into the debate on like which one's better you've kind of lost the fight as far as like murder or stealing like stealing from a lot of people or murdering only a couple people like come on man like i i don't i don't even want to debate that statement because it's so it, it is just atrocious Right. The truth of it is aside. It's just an atrocious thing to say. And so no surprise, this ultra right, right libertarian vile person gets into a fight with an ultra left libertarian vile person and they don't get along and they are both affiliated with the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. Jackie takes the steps to now this is not from what I understand technically doxing because this person's Information was available. It was Googleable information. But she makes this person who she does not like information public and, of course, in a negative light and encourages people to say bad things about this individual to their home, to their job, to their house, all that stuff. Okay. It's not what? technically doxing. You don't have to dox some. It's, you can stop short of doxing somebody, but you can still do a really douchey thing. And that was a really douchey thing to do. And so it very much targeted this person. Of course, this person gets overloaded with anger or whatever. And what do they do by in response? They remove, they disaffiliate, I, I, I excommunicate, whatever it may be, whatever libertarian function it is, Jackie Perry out of the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. They say, no, we're not taking your, your dues anymore. Good day to you, ma'am. As Lou mentions, we've we've had pedophiles do this before, and we still took like we still took their donations and everything. So like yeah, it was it's, bad. It, it is one of those that it is an unprecedented step. I understand why it's so unprecedented because it's hard to get two people of that caliber of awfulness in the same room together. You're like, this is gonna explode. Like this is oh, gonna I kinda, I kind of feel like there's some context here. Um, you know, to that's really important. Like that was pretty vague, but there's some really important context here. Um, 
the the statement was put out from the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire's Facebook page. Legalize child labor. You know, something about they'll learn on the job or something. They learn more right? on the job than they will in schools. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. So in this attempt to be an edgelord, whatever, <laughs> like it kind of enraged a lot of people. They were like, dude, this is bad messaging. Like, what are you? No. Like, if you want to talk about youth autonomy and youth rights, we can do that. But like legalized child labor, dude, no, like that's this, that's not it. Right. So there were a lot of complaints about the messaging coming out of LP and H as an organization. Right. And Jackie who, and I'm going to say like, I have a strange soft spot for Jackie like I've blocked her and unblocked her and blocked her. Like we've done this for like years to each other. It's like, she's, I don't, I don't know all the time how much control she has over her reactions. I I'm trying. Uh, that's I'm, fair. Okay. I don't want to make assumptions nor diagnoses, but sometimes I just kind of go, okay, well she's, she, she's having a moment. Right. And I just kind of ignore it and go, it'll calm down soon. And it does. She's also really funny. Like when she's not on a tirade about something and she makes jokes, like I think she's really funny and I enjoy humor. So I'll scroll past the stuff I don't want to read. And then I laugh when she posts a joke. So anyway, she made publicly available the already publicly available Contact information for Gilletta Jarvis, who, to my understanding, is the chair of the LPNH. Yeah. And has also run for public office on more than one occasion, if I'm not mistaken. Like big like governorship. Sure. Um, so her contact information is, was, and always will be public because she's run for public office. Um, she also has it posted herself on her social media publicly available also on the lpnh website are other you know several different ways to contact her because she is the chair of the state party whether you're a chair of a state party president of the country whatever when you were a ceo of a of a company if your company goes bankrupt you're responsible when your country is in shambles as the president, that's on you. Like, it may not be directly because you did something, but you ran for office because you said, you know what? I'm going to take responsibility for whatever. Like, if someone under me messes up, like, it's my job to do something about that. So... Addressing the chair of the party through already accessible information, public information, to address an issue about the messaging coming from the state party. If you're a member, you have every right to do that. Every right to do that. And as libertarians, like one of our biggest things about a free market is voice, like having your voice heard in High numbers. We boycott. We 
sign petitions. We march down the streets. Like we want our voices heard in numbers when we are unhappy and the person at the top has to take some action. Right. And so instead they got pissed and literally had like a secret meeting and kicked her out. And they're still trying to like, I'll be really honest with you. I think there are probably five other things that Jackie's done in the past that might, I would have been like, you uh, you know, a review might not be a bad idea. <laughs> you know, like, this po- wasn't it. It's possible they considered it. all of that as well. I, I don't know. Well, Samuel, I, we've had the floor for a long time, and uh, you should absolutely have a view here. For uh, and for those with some more context, the LP New Hampshire is uh, is is I guess not friendly, but has members in the leadership position that are members of also of the Mises Caucus, which Samuel is also a part of, and we love our Samuel. So, Samuel, go ahead, and uh, you'll probably have a different take on this than we will. But what, give, give us uh, give us your your thoughts on this. Uh, First of all, I don't know either of those people, um, so I, I'm not going to have lucky a... dog. <laughs> you are so yeah. lucky. Uh, being a part of the Mises Caucus, you know, I heard some. I I, I heard kind of what Hody was saying about the the person who did the 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 doxing or whatever you want to call it, um, but I, I haven't heard anything about the other person or anything like that. So I, I'm completely out of the know on that. I will say that uh, if you look at Wikipedia, doxing or doxing is the act of publicly revealing previously private personal information about an individual and organization, usually through the internet methods employed to acquire such information include search, searching publicly available databases and social media websites, hacking and social engineering. So, I mean, it, you could technically say that while well, they searched publicly available information, they were still doxing. I don't know if how semantical you want to get into that. Um, as far as like the um, child labor thing, I didn't really like the tweet either. It, it, you got to draw the distinction between child abuse and child labor. Like I worked as growing up as a kid on a farm. Like that wasn't child abuse. It was child labor. And I think when they just kind of talk about uh, child labor, and don't make the distinction. Everyone's just kind of jumping to all this child abuse. And uh, yeah, you have to make that, that distinction, I guess. Um, I, I do have to say like having a background in communications and PR, particularly in politics and working with candidates, like I do understand like the, the method and the idea of using a message like that, for instance, you know, that is really extreme and it gets people talking. Right. Right. Um, I just, there are better ways to do it. Um, We see Spike do this all the time. For example, communicating an idea, he'll say the outrageous thing and then he'll follow up with a, well, not actually, but here, you know, here's what, some law actually says about you know children like you know just to get people talking about the subject of the existing child labor laws as they are you know Mm -hmm. we don't talk about that that's not part of cultural discussion but unfortunately that terrible communication just derailed that entire conversation yeah, and I mean, like the was it the Kentucky tweet about the stars and stuff? I actually really liked that tweet. I didn't think that was a bad tweet. That was like aggressive. Oh, it was 
the Holocaust. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't bring it up, but uh, like, I, go I mean, ahead. Totally, Let's dive in. <laughs> I'm totally okay with being bold and just saying something, sort of. But it, it's just got to be on point. Like it's got to be. I don't know. I, I didn't think the child labor one was quite as point because on point because you're thinking, well, about child abuse. You know, like, do you want your four year old in a coal mine? That's what's jumping to mind, and it's, right. instead of just like the you know, like the, the the star of David vaccine thing, what's jumping to your mind is this is a really bad thing, which is what you kind of want. I will read the, uh, let's see, Carol Ann Harlow's, she said that the historical party position, a child is a human being and as such deserves to be treated justly. We oppose laws infringing on children's rights to work or learn as such child labor laws and compulsory education laws. We also oppose the use of curfews based on age. I thought that was a much better way of putting it. Like, yeah, it's just, absolutely. It's putting it in a positive way. Like, we want this good thing. And yeah, it's, it is kind of like Talking curfews for kids. Right? Like, that's stupid if your parents allow you to stay up at night or maybe your parents work odd hours or like, I mean, there's, I, I thought she put it really well. And well, I mean, I don't know if she wrote it, but that was a previous party position. So, well, and let me, and this is also the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire. And let me point to a better tweet that they had within like a day of the, I think like the day before this bad tweet came out was they said they linked a story about some, a girl who was working in a floral shop. Um, and she was like 14 years old and they went after the floral shop and they went after the girl, they went after the parents. And it's just like, this is what child labor laws look like. It's not preventing your kid from working on a line, which is what you want. It's, punishing fining hurting people that like have found a line of work that they want to participate in like right. it's not and i think that that and that tweet was immensely successful no no like you know I, no ratioed you know everything was great with that one and, and the i thought you were going to talk, well. talk about the brain tumor one no uh i i'm i'm not sure with that one but i'm not sure if i even want to get into that one <laughs> but uh you know like there is a way for the messaging to be positive now sticking i guess specifically to the story with like what happened with jackie it's an unprecedented thing i understand that like we've had and we've even had what's funny some of these people who are <clears throat> cheering on her disaffiliation have also in the past been like, no, keep this guy around. I know he's a white supremacist, but let's take dues from everybody. No, I know that guy's a pedophile, but I'd rather us have his money than somebody else. And it's like, well, it's weird that you would go to bat for like, as much as I dislike Jackie Perry. And I, and I won't take back anything I said. I find her very vile, but, and I understand that you might find her funny, Lou. I, I, I I can get I get where you see that too because I used to keep her around for like an occasional meme as well. Right. It just it, at some point it becomes like how many lies am I going to listen to before I'm just like you just hate everybody. I, I I it's so hateful I can't even get on anymore. So like I just and so like I think for me I like ignoring I, it right. But like is she worse than a pedophile? Is she worse God, than no. like a white supremacist? Absolutely like absolutely not. No, like she's bad, but she's not that bad. And so I think there is like a consistency thing part where you're just like, do I hate her because like she represents the vile left as opposed to like a pedophile or white supremacist that but might be a little bit sympathetic with me. Is, is it like a thing though, where she's also more elevated than some of these other people. So like if you're in a position, I, these other people made national news, Richard Spencer. Oh, yeah. Never mind. Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
I mean, now a lot of these, and I made a point of this recently, a lot, almost every white supremacist, you know, has been a part of the Libertarian Party for like six months before leaving because they don't realize the cultural standard that we have in the Libertarian Party, which is very high, like very high. We, we, they think they see the Libertarian Party and they're like, oh, sweet. I can uh, get rid of all these segregation laws. I can get rid of the Civil Rights Act and segregate restaurants again. And then they realize, oh, wait, these people value these people value everybody as individuals and not as collectives. So my racism doesn't really fit in well here. So like, you know, Cantwell, Molyneux, Spencer. I mean, they, they test the waters of libertarianism and then they're like, oh, that was really bad. I'm going back to what Spencer went to the Democrats and the rest went to the Republican, whatever. Like they're all mainstream parties now. They, they're not our problem anymore, but like, that's the cultural thing. All right. Um, that's a libertarian. That's some insider baseball. I, it's so it's gossip. It's fun to talk about, but it's it is it's like candy. You can't have too much of it. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. But yeah, it's uh. Go ahead. I'm just gonna bring up uh, New Hampshire's recent tweet, which was John McCain's brain tumor saved more lives than Anthony Fauci. So it's a little it's a little dark, but it's also, I mean, it is kind of funny. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Uh, and, they, something... and they follow it up with don't feel bad the man was a monster but he did have one unshakable conviction wherever america had a foreign policy problem the solution was always to bomb the crap out of it, someone and they didn't use the word crap i don't i, right. I don't know why i censored myself there <laughs> yeah. uh yeah do we look is this something that you want but, your non-libertarian neighbor reading well it's, it's pretty aggressive i guess but anyway yeah. Uh, Samu, you have the final piece of your mind, buddy. Why don't you tell us what's on your mind? All right. Uh, well, we went a long ways from our original topic of like. Um, well, good. These things aren't which, supposed which, to be related. Exactly. Talk about but, barbecuing. Yeah. <laughs> but I just remembered like my what I was going to talk about somehow tied in like oh. as we we're in it. But anyway, there's this guy called and I'm going to mispronounce his last name. Nav Bahatia. Um, he moved to Toronto in 1984 in the midst of like anti-Sikh riots in India. So basically people were just getting slaughtered and stuff. So he was able to not move to America because they wouldn't let him, but move to Canada. Uh, he struggled to find work. He lived in like a $300 a month basement and slept on a child's bed. And, you know, he was a, a mechanical engineer in India. And so like he had to start out like washing cleaning toilets and stuff no one he always wore a turban for his religion and he was never able to like um really he had to apply at like a hundred different sales locations in order to be a car salesman um and when he finally when he became a car salesman he achieved the canada's record for 127 car sales in three months um and just you know totally blew it out of the water um and so like uh uh a dealership that was going bankrupt said, Hey, come on in, let help us out. And like six people walked out as soon as he walked in. Um, oh, and I should mention too, like when he was uh, one customer, like they do like rotations where a customer walks in, okay, it's your turn. Another customer walks in. Okay. It's your turn. Customer walked in specifically asked to not be served by the guy in the, with the turban. So he said, that's fine, but just make sure I'm the one who gets to deliver the car. So he delivered the car to the guy, made him a friend, and he sold him all sorts of cars and stuff like that. Um, so it's, and then um, anyway, he got he owned the dealership. The dealership obviously was massively uh, successful, and he has like a net worth of fifty million dollars right now. Um, 
and he got really into like the Raptors, like a, the, a basketball. This team. is how I know the guy. Like, I don't know any of that other stuff. Oh, okay. You're about to talk about the thing I actually know about Navbatia. Yeah. Okay. Oh, then you're, you're pronouncing his name. That's cool. You did but it, anyway. You did it great. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. He, he became a super fan, and he like he was the first one to get like the the ring for being um for what what it's not the Super Bowl. What do, what do basketball? He got an NBA want? championship ring for <laughs> right, the 2018 yes. 2019 <laughs> Raptors. They had Kawhi Leonard and all them on the team. Man, that was a that was a crazy team. Yeah, and he's did, was it the Hall of Fame he got into? Or he got just into like, the Basketball Hall of Fame because they yeah, started basketball? allowing fans in there. Yeah, he is a Raptors super fan. As far as I know, he's the only one, right? First he's, one or the only one? Yeah. Well, get this: the team the team has been around twenty five years. He's attended every single home game they've ever had. Not just had tickets to. He has physically attended every single home game the Raptors have ever had. Uh, if you are going to allow fans, and I understand maybe you don't want to allow fans, but if you are, he'd probably be the one that you put with the Basketball Hall of Fame. Right. So I, I just found this guy immensely uh, like just inspirational because, you know, it's like, you know, he was success- successful at all these different things. I mean, you know him for super fan, but it's like, holy cow, this guy just lived life and he just... He, you know, he kind of did the, like the Daryl Davis, if you guys know who he is. Yeah. He's like... The, the black guy who like converted uh kkk members by just like talking to him and i think i think that's kind of what this guy did like he was just passionate and he was had conviction and he he was able to just um uh win over like everyone because he was just so passionate and he uh he cared a lot and it's like i don't know he he got rid of all those boxes because he was able to just show himself for who he was and he, he just loved on people i guess that's what Aww. it is so i i thought it, i thought he was a pretty cool guy there was a podcast I've about never him never heard of any of this don't know the guy's name because i don't again do sports ball like but i'm gonna go read about this guy now yeah well you should check out the podcast on words and numbers that they they feature him and uh yeah words was, numbers hang on i'm writing this down <laughs> it's it's presented by fee okay so yeah it, yeah, I didn't it, see Fee had a thing on him. I'll have to check that out too. <laughs> He's like fanboying. <laughs> Anytime somebody talks about sports, there's not enough libertarian to talk about sports. That just flat it out. is weird how it's like sport. We they never really mix. I don't know, but yeah. But anyway, well, I just I mean I found him immensely. But yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but I, I just found it immensely uh, inspirational that a guy could do all of that and of course he's an immigrant so like he's in a, in Canada and he's just like everything's amazing i can just can just do all this stuff and you know he uh appreciates all the things like we take for granted and he has that you know work ethic and that drive and i don't know it it, it just inspired it's inspired me to just you know we always say like live life to the fullest we mean like you know take take time off work or you know go on vacation or spend more time with your kids but we never think like, no, just enjoy wherever, whatever, no matter what you're doing, like just make a habit of just enjoying your life. And I've kind of tried to apply that to sales too. Like when I try to sell someone, it's like, I just love you. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to just push something on you. I just love you. I love life. And that, you know, I just try to have that attitude and just be passionate. No. I mean, do you sell like chocolate or something? Like, so I'm trying to think of something that, that would convey that love. <laughs> well, I, I actually sell discounts on your electricity because you can opt into a community solar garden and you're going to save some money. 
Oh, so, that's, so that's I really cool. just walk up to people and save them money. Yeah, but they're you all just like, lost your right wing card right there, man. <laughs> well, no, because community solar gardens, you sound like a socialist. Yeah. Well, because XL has it's the. Uh, I mean, some states like Maine and I think uh, Illinois, like that's all they have is XL Energy. So it's like you're you're breaking into their monopoly a little bit because there's legislation that allows these community solar gardens and all that stuff. So I mean, it's it's all subsidized. <laughs> there's no there's no way out of it. So I might as well help people get some savings, just like helping them get some tax relief or something like that. You know, I, I do want to say, like, uh, on point with your story, I think it's one of those that people should accept the challenge of saying that, like, I want to defy your expectations of what you have. And I don't want to explain away expectations. I want to show you a new person. One of the big biggest things with Daryl Davis wasn't saying, no, there aren't problems in Chicago. No, there isn't violence in the black community. No, there, like it wasn't denial. What it was is saying, okay, fine, but you have to add me to your equation too. Like I am part of this as well. So not Batia Sikh. I have a really good friend who's a Sikh. Um, it's a it's a really cool faith. And it's kind of one of those like Buddhism where like people are like, I'm not sure if it actually counts as a religion kind of thing so much as a philosophy, but it's a really cool, like it, just a lot of great, um, a lot of great, even Christian overlap. I mean, they even have, you know, quotes from Jesus and stuff they'll talk about. So uh, obviously their Jesus friendliness always per perks up my ears. And so I, I listen and, and um, you know, being a student of theology, I love studying all religions. And so Navbati is one that, uh, you know, makes my ears peak up because he actually had to leave um, because of anti-Sikh riots in India. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, just to just say, like, listen, I know you your expectations of somebody with a turban is violence, anger, um, divisiveness, um, unwillingness, whatever it may be. I'm wearing a turban. I'm going to show you something different. Like, I just want to be that person who's different. For me as a Christian, I take that so strongly because I know when people think of Christians, I mean, even just common sense, but like, if you ask people, what do you think of judgmental, um, angry, close-minded, bigoted, stuck in the past, Republicans, like, you know, like all these things. Uh, <laughs> and the Republicans, the worst one of all those. No, I'm kidding. Right. Um, but like, you know, like all these things. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to try to explain away those Christians. I'm not going to try to say like, no, all Christians are great. You're just, you know, you're just stupid. Like you, you don't understand Christianity at all. You don't understand Christians at all. It's so like, okay, like I get like your experiences and I'm sorry for them, but I'm a Christian as well. Like, and I want you to understand that. Um, I was actually just talking the other day because we were looking at some older passages in um, the interlinear Bible that I use, which goes to like the oldest texts. And we were talking about how the, um, the homosexual bigotry has actually been misinterpreted from what it originally was. And everything that happened in Sodom was actually talking about rape and not talking about like, Oh, God has a problem with rape. I thought he had a problem with the gay stuff. And so like the rape, you know, back then people were just like, yeah, rape, but gayness, that must be what God was mad about. Whereas of course now we as modern theologians look back and we're like, Oh, clearly the rape is the problem here. Right. It's right. not about them being gay. I them told being you one of these crazy. days want to get into like the whole like 
translation of Malakotai, like all of the yes yeah, we're gonna get into the greek one day okay. <laughs> right and so like <laughs> but like knowing these things to just be like okay so i understand you know homophobic christians like i understand like if you're listening to this and like somebody's like you know and, and i mean we even have young kids saying this, that it's like, uh, I understand they exist. I just don't have to live with them. I don't want to, I don't agree with their lifestyle. Like, I guess they can go exist on some little gay ranch somewhere, but not in my community, not, not around my church or something like that. And it's like, man, like, I understand that's your experience with Christians right now, but just factor me in is all I'm asking. And being an intimate, like you said, Navbati wanted to drop, like, let me drop the keys off. Like, let me drop the car. Off. Let me be that point of interaction. And to just be like, hey, when somebody's down on their time, down on their luck or something, to be like, hey, like, I'm here for you. Like, I want to, I'm going to call you by your proper pronouns. There we go. Let's go full circle with it. You know, like, I'm going to call you how you want to be called. I'm going to value you as a person. I understand your lifestyle. I'm going to show you that love, God is love. That's more important to me than any other commandment he could give is talk about loving, loving my neighbor, right? Like, and I'm going to act on these things. And so that to me is what it means to be a Christian fanatic or a Christian radical. These people can call them rational, themselves radicals or, you know, Christian, you know, hardcore Christians or whatever, but re what they really are is heretics. And they've, they've gone and they, they're nationalists and they've gone to this dark route. And I'm just like, all right, look, I understand. Like my goal is not to dismiss what people know about Christians already, but to become a new piece of information that people have about Christians. And I think that it's great that Nav Bhatia took that challenge with the Sikhs. And that's, that's a very simple, that's, it's such a cool story. And it's something that I very much want to do with the Christians to be like, listen, I understand, like, here's what I think I know about them. But if they even know one person and you're that one person, then when somebody says like, eh, F the Christians, instead of them just laughing and being like, yeah, they'll be like, Hey, listen, I know what you're talking about, but I actually have a really good friend who cares about me as a Christian. So like, could you watch it? And then that piece of information infects that community to be like, okay, well, that's not a safe person to just say all Christians suck around anymore. And then be like, oh, here's why they don't suck. Let's go meet them all. And then, then we get the unity that we're going for here, you know, because they, it's just new information that people need to know. You need to be the exception to the rule. Again, people's brains, if they're, if they have any intellect in, in them will form biases. You can't dismiss the bias all you can do is act as a point of contradiction to those biases and say, I understand. Here's what I think I know about Christians, but now I know this person. And now I have to believe something different because I like that person. I care about that person. It's okay to bash gays until you have a gay friend that you really care about. And then you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. Next time somebody says a homophobic slur, I'm not going to be quiet about it anymore. And it's not because I'm gay suddenly. It's because I have somebody I care about who's gay, you know? So like, you know, in Canada, you know, you're, you're not going to get away with an anti-Sikh slur anymore because people are like, no, that guy's really cool. <laughs> That's all I got. No, I, yeah. I always feel like, like, you wrapped it all up so neatly in a little bow. <laughs> came full circle i i got nothing else to add <laughs> <laughs> you know i can't talk about basketball for a few minutes or something <laughs> <laughs> i don't do the sports ball <laughs> oh, man that's a sports slur by the way that's an athletic slur the <laughs> oh. sports ball thing. 
That's I'll, my I'll word. You can't use because that. I care about you. Buddy, so <laughs> there, there we go. I know somebody cares about sports, so I can't talk smack about him anywhere. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Hey, same thing as usual. Every time you click, we make bank. Every time we make bank, the program gets bigger. We go on more platforms. We get more exposure. And uh, that's the way it goes. Um, so just download this on everything you can. Share it. Recommend it to your friends. Uh, if you're listening to this on one platform like YouTube or Spotify or Stitcher, go and listen to it on a different one. Leave a positive review on iTunes, whatever it takes. We are still new. Um, we are growing with every podcast, and I'm super happy about that. Uh, Samuel and Lou, obviously a pleasure. I love having you both on, and I appreciate you both taking time out of your schedules. I know that this is a big commitment on a weekly basis. You're both busy, and I really do appreciate it. You're such a delight, both of you, to talk with. Because I could talk about myself forever, and I like to surround myself by with people that I doubt myself. Like I'm like, oh, I'm smarter than most people, but not Lou and not Samuel. So I'll take them on, <laughs> and then just try to. That helps me like limit my talking time because then I'm like, all right, well, I don't want to take time away from somebody who knows what they're talking about. But well, it's great being on. Yeah, I appreciate I, I think it. This someone- is. Someone said uh, it's uh, being on a podcast is like um, being on someone else's boat. It's wow. What do you say? It's like, it's great until you have to have your own, like something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this is a blast every time. Awesome. Well, thank you. I'm glad you're having a blast. Uh, Listeners again, love you. Enjoy the rest of your week and I'll talk to you again.